Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you love not just all of us, but also each of us. And we're only any one of us on earth needing salvation. You still, we understand, would have sent your son to us. In that, we worship you and praise you and honor you and desire that you be Bring about your will and your way and your kingdom as we open your word together. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So I might be having some mic trouble this evening. We'll uh, do the best we can. Uh, who's your all-time favorite president is uh, the question that I thought I'd start with this morning. I usually, uh, my job is to go deep into the scriptures. I'm going to try it without a jacket and see if that helps. But I thought I'd start a little bit differently this evening and talk about presidents. There have been 46 of them in the United States. They are among the most prominent people in our culture and our history and our vocabulary. Who's your favorite U.S. president of all time? Uh, who are the people? Who is the person maybe that you most admire, that you most respect, maybe most uh, emulate, want to emulate? Would it be Buchanan or Garfield or Rutherford B. Hayes, possibly Andrew Jackson? Most people would say no. Surveys continuously show that the three most popular, if you will, uh, most loved, most respected, most revered presidents are, in this order, George Washington, number three, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, number two, and of course, number one, Abraham Lincoln. Yes, indeed. And maybe uh, that's why Abraham Lincoln has been honored by having his image engraved not only on the U.S., coined the penny, but also the $5 bill. Lincoln came from humble beginnings. We like that. We associate with that. We resonate with that. We think that's beautiful. He was born in a log cabin in uh, Sinking Springs, Kentucky, just outside of Sinking Springs Farm, Kentucky. This on the screen is a remake of uh, the cabin that no longer exists, and that's encased in kind of a museum in that community. But how many people have visited that museum? How many people have been to that site? How many people have actually been into that log cabin? Probably not a lot of people. Anyone here? None here. Maybe out on the live stream. Why? Because the cabin really isn't that important. It's certainly not that impressive by today's standards. What is important about Lincoln is not his birth as much as it is his life and his life's work and his legacy. What he did in Washington, D.C., what he spoke at Gettysburg, how he led, how he served, what he did, who he was. And he was exactly the, the president that the United States and the world needed at that time. And so on the penny coined by the United States meant in the $5 bill is not an image of the birthplace of Abraham Lincoln, in other words, a log cabin in Kentucky, but rather an image of the fully mature adult person, Abraham Lincoln, as president, and on the back of the older pennies, an image of the Lincoln Memorial that memorializes not where he was born, not the log cabin, not who his parents were, not the backwoods of Kentucky or where he grew up in Indiana, but what he said, how he led, what he did, what he spoke, his convictions, his heart, through the Civil War, leading America, 
back to unity. That is what is inscribed on those hallowed walls. And Lincoln is honored when we remember his legacy and when a person continues or furthers the work that was so central to who he was, what he did, what made him great, admired, significant, important. Lincoln is honored when a person continues, perpetuates, supports what he was about, what he stood for, what his convictions were. Thinking now about Jesus, this is Christmas Eve, Much has been made of the birth of Jesus, what I sometimes think of, somewhat cynically, as the Christmas industrial complex. It is arguably the largest and most acknowledged and celebrated, in some ways, holiday in the entire world. Even having deep reaches into many secular countries and many non-Christian countries and cultures, much has been made of the birth of Jesus, surpassing Ramadan and Diwali, and Hanukkah, and New Year's Eve, and the Chinese New Year, and Valentine's Day even. Christmas is the largest and most acknowledged and celebrated holiday in the world, period. Having deep reaches again, even into secular countries and cultures, and even non-Christian countries and cultures. And rightly so, Christmas celebrates the birth, not of a president, even a great president, or the greatest president, but is instead the birth of Messiah, the long-awaited. Son of God, Son of Man, Savior and Lord. Moreover, his birth, it was special, while Lincoln's wasn't so special. Jesus' birth was miraculous. It was unique. It was unprecedented up until that time and since that time still in history. Absolutely. And we've read over the last few weeks during Advent about some of the things that made that miraculous, about the angels, about Zechariah and Elizabeth, about John the Baptist, about more angels, about Joseph and Mary and their songs, and eventually about Magi this coming Sunday, wise men, astrologers, God seekers, king makers from the East. And yet there's still more. It's wholly appropriate like the angels, like the shepherds, like Simeon and Anna, like the Magi, wholly appropriate that we also be filled with awe, that we be filled with wonder, that we Worship Christ, the newborn king, have done as, as we are, we are doing, doing this evening. Also. also, but let us also follow him. Let us also follow him. Not, let us not only admire him and not only sing about him and not only sing to him, but let us follow him, which is what he called all to do which is what during his ministry, five days a year, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, and not just at Christmas because in following Jesus, we enter reality in which what God wills happens, what, God's will, what God wills is, what Jesus called his kingdom or the reign of God, of his father, the kingdom of God, of which Jesus spoke more than anything else, by far, of which Jesus spoke more than anything else, by far. And Christianity and the church have spent far more time, energy, and effort throughout history, right up to the present, trying to get people to become Christians, trying to get people to join churches, trying to get people to go to Christmas Eve worship services, even trying to get people to be good, rather than as much helping people to follow 
Jesus, be disciples of Jesus, being students of Jesus, being apprentices of Jesus, being practitioners of Jesus. And I'm just as much at fault as anyone on that. In the words of Dallas Willard, the greatest issue facing the world today with all of its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence, how to live in our shoes as if he was in our shoes. Of course, Christmas is wonderful. It's always been for me going back the highlight of the year since I was a little child. Christmas is wonderful. There is much to love about Christmas. From start to finish, from beginning to end, from candles to candy canes, from reindeer to wreaths, from trees to toy soldiers, from fruitcake to mistletoe, from sleigh bells to snowmen, from shepherds to St. Nicholas, from presents to God's presence. There's much to love, to appreciate, to enjoy about Christmas. And yet Jesus' birth It was more than that and more than a mere introduction, which it was. It was a foretaste and intended to be a foretaste of that which is to come, of that which is very sweet. Now, Mark and John, some of you know, don't even mention Jesus' birth in their gospels. Matthew and Luke mention a little bit about Jesus' birth in their gospels, much of which we've read Uh, by John, by Zoe, by Stephen earlier in the service. And their thrusts, though, they mention little about Jesus' birth. The thrust of all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is to describe and to paint and to teach about who Jesus was and what he called us and people like us to do and become, to encourage people, his word, to follow him, to follow him to follow him, to go where he went, to go where he traveled, to walk as he did every day in every way. And there's always been more to that story. Isaiah, which we read at the beginning of this worship service in which we began at the beginning of last year's worship service and all of the other passages of scripture that get read during Advent and at Christmas time that we love and enjoy from the simple and the obscure to Handel's Messiah's lyrics all come from Isaiah. And the prophet Isaiah, Christians have always understood, points to Jesus, points to Messiah. And he invites us to listen to him this evening. Beginning in Isaiah 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. We read this at the beginning and then sang about it. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with just his ears, but with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, He will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. 
The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. Isaiah describing a peaceful reality. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner of the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hemeth, and from the islands of the Mediterranean. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. Isaiah 9, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. Say that with me, with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And those recurring words, justice and righteousness, justice means not criminal justice, but sort of. It means positively and negatively what is right or getting what rightly belongs to one, positively or negatively, justice. And righteousness in the scriptures means not moral purity, but the character or quality of being right or just. In other words, as things were intended, as things should be, as God ordains, as the Lord provides, as the Lord wills, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots, a branch that will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness. He will judge the needy with justice. He will give decisions for the poor of the earth. And the scriptures call us to connect the dots from Isaiah to Jesus through the prophet known as John the Baptist who himself declared you remember from a month ago. The one who has two tunics is to share with the one who has none. The one who has food is to do likewise. Two tax collectors and the like, collect no more than what you have been ordered to. And to soldiers and to others and to others who possess power, do not extort money from anyone nor harass anyone. Be content with your wages. We have Christmas. From Isaiah to Messiah, through John the Baptist to Jesus, and we connect the dots wanting to drill down in Christmas, to the core, to the bedrock, to the foundation, to the source, to what counts, to what matters, to what is true and right and good and just. And now back to Lincoln for just a moment. How many Abraham Lincoln fans, again, have done a pilgrimage to Sinking Springs Farm, Kentucky? None of us here. How many have ever set up a log cabin in their front yard? How many Lincoln fans, all right, quick survey. For how many of you is Lincoln your favorite president, officially or unofficially? How many of you have ever set up a log cabin in your front yard? Not talking about Lincoln logs and weird toys, that's a different thing. How many of you have put a little Abraham Lincoln memorial 
log cabin somewhere on a coffee table or end table or shelf in your home. Not many of us. We have not sought to honor Lincoln in that way. Rather, to remember and to honor, and more than that, to stand with Abraham Lincoln, a person will stand up for justice, remember Isaiah, for justice and truth and equality and integrity and the dignity of every human being everywhere made in God's image. To truly honor Abraham Lincoln in American history has not been accomplished so much by taking a day off from work in February or taking a day off from school in February. I know this to be true. My kids take that President's Day holiday and do no honoring of Lincoln. (laughs) Neither did I. To truly honor Abraham Lincoln has been to stand up against white supremacy in all of its subtle and sometimes not so subtle forms and the oppression of those without power and without a voice. Similarly, as we near the culmination of our and our culture's celebration of Jesus' birth, how will we honor him? How will we honor him? If we only listen to the cooing of a baby and not the calling of a prophet or a rabbi or a teacher or a healer or an itinerant preacher or one who disrupted the status quo, who loved people who had never been loved before, who extended the merciful hand of God to those who had no claim on it and didn't expect it. If we only listen to Jesus, sometimes worship him, and do not seek to follow him as he invited, as he called, we may have missed the boat. And his, from Isaiah, and John the Baptist, and his own, calling for mercy and love and generosity and righteousness and justice, the Christmas message we were expecting. But loaded there in those passages in Isaiah and Luke that we read over and over. Earlier today, I spent too many hours in Oakland, which did not feel like the Christmas Eve experience that I grew up with was introduced to a woman named Rachel who has nine kids and the ashes of a tent that are in a storage unit somewhere that she can't pay the bill to get out. Living all of them in a little motel room surrounded by gunfire in the streets and little opportunity. And then I drove back across the bridge, which was like driving to another world, and into Foster City where the streets are clean and the streets are wide and the utility lines are underground, which is really, I really like. 
and I hear the voice of Jesus' closest disciple, a guy named Peter, saying, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow, quote, in his steps. And I don't know what that looks like exactly for me or exactly for you, but I know it begins here, but it doesn't end here. It continues as we go out those doors and when we go out those doors and when we go back to our neighborhoods and we go back to the world where there's still a lot of unjust injustice and unrighteousness. And we carry with us what we celebrate, which is the love of God and Jesus. That is God's plan. And he intends to carry it out and he intends to carry it out through you and he intends to carry it out through me. And as he does and as we do, I know that he will be glorified and I know that his kingdom will come, which is what Sean led us in praying. Thy kingdom come, thy reign come. On earth, in the trenches, over in East Oakland, as it is where the streets are paved with gold, in heaven. And I believe that day will come. And I believe God invites all of us to be a part of that. Let's pray. We are grateful and we are humbled and we are awed by angels and prophecies that came true and by your spirit entering Elizabeth and your spirit, God, entering Mary. By unexpected and miraculous births, by stars that were out of place divinely for a while to lead pagan people from afar to you, to, de- to bow before you in worship and in homage and to declare that this little one is king and would be king and would reign and would have his way and have dominion over all. Have dominion over us, God. Have dominion in our lives. Have dominion in the church. Have dominion in our neighborhoods. Bring about your glorious kingdom. You are the king. You have been crowned, and we want to be a part of that. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But Jesus also said to his disciples, you, plural, are the light of the world. And though over the course of history it has seemed As John, the gospel writer, said, it has seemed that the light has shone in the darkness and the darkness has not understood it. And while that is true, the darkness will not overcome it. He is the light of the world. He shares that with us so that with him we get to be the light of the world. The light shines in the darkness, 
and the darkness will not overcome it.